2: Here's the thing. And I actually I saw I I had said this and then I saw Angus Young say the same thing. The feeling that I got when I went to see my first concerts when I was 13 or 14 years old, um, you know, Madison Square Garden, you know, the the impression that they had on me is I try and tap into that feeling when I'm on stage and try and give that feeling to the audience. Not always successful at it. Uh, And not everybody in the audience is a 14 year old kid like me, but I'm at least trying to tap into what I felt when I watched a band when I was that age, and not just uh, what you know think oh well what's in catering tonight and uh, what's the gross and what's the you know what's our net tonight and uh, how long's the bus ride. I try and forget all that crap and just put myself in the headspace that I was at when I was 14 years old.
3: Hello, welcome back to another episode of 2020. I'm Corey Paza here, as always, with Siobhan Cronin and Benny Goodman. And uh, we're super pumped to welcome back uh, one of our one of our earlier guests. We haven't had him on in a while, but he's an absolute legend. That's Steve Stevens.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. And he's so down to earth. I love how cool he is. You would think that. I mean, he's such a superstar, obviously. Got to tune into the YouTube, always got his shades on. Now living in Vegas, we talk a lot about the residency that he's doing there and some of his other projects. Talk a lot about songwriting and guitar playing in this episode.
0: Yeah, he can live in Vegas all he wants, but he's still a New York Jew and I love him for
1: <laughs> As we reference many times. <laughs> and he's and he,
0: but he's he's the greatest guy as far as like if if you go and watch all of our episodes, he's about as down to earth as, as they come for yeah. being a
3: legend. It blew my mind the first time he came on to hang out with us, and it blew my mind again that he actually came back and yeah. seemed to actually enjoy himself and opened up about you know, a lot of stuff that's going on and, and his actual songwriting process, the new Billy Idol stuff. like It's pretty incredible. If you're a fan of Billy Idol, Steve Stevens, you're not going to want to miss this one.
1: Like and subscribe at 2020-d.com. Listen now for Steve Stevens.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benny Goodman. I'm here with my friends, Javon and Corey, and I'm very excited because when we have people come back for a second time, especially when they're legends, like when I legit had like posters of them on my wall growing up and reasons I play guitar, uh, it's amazing to me. And this guy, this guy is about to hit Vegas hard with a guy you know named Billy Idol, but he's he, he's bigger than that. His name's Steve Stevens, and let me just tell you, uh, just his silhouette as he's walking on stage lets you know you're about to be in for a fucking show. Hi, Steve. How
2: are you? Hey, <laughs> what an intro! Thank you. Right. Bro.
1: <laughs> well, it's a rare opportunity because we had you on the show before. So, for anyone that's tuning in just now, go listen to part one and part two with you. It Was an awesome interview. So, I'm I'm excited for us to get maybe a little more topical this time and you know, get into some of the stuff that you're doing now. As Ben mentioned, um, you you're, you started or are about to start a Vegas residency. Can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, um, you know, we uh, COVID sort of put the kibosh on it for. Last year, but we've been doing Re- Vegas residencies uh, probably, you know, six or seven years now. We moved around. We were to the Palms, and then we were uh, um, one of the ha- House of Blues, and now we're at the um, uh, Cosmopolitan. Uh, which is actually the theater. There is, is is the best that we've done there. Sound and lights are incredible, and um, we we really um, we did play in there. So and and I now I live in Vegas, so oh, I get wow. to sleep. Okay. Yeah, I sleep in my own bed.
3: <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm all for it. In terms of the residency, like verse, verse a tour, like what what do you what do you really enjoy about that side of of performing?
2: Um. Well, your crew is happier because they're, <laughs> yes. they're not having to load in and load out. And they could, they could get drunk after the show. <laughs> <laughs> crawl out of bed about three or four, like the rest of us. and um, But, you know, it gives you an opportunity to really hone in on your show because it's consistent. So, uh, um, you know, sound and lights are going to be the same every night. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we tend to dig into some of the uh, – uh, more obscure tunes, uh, B-sides B- and things like that, because you have a lot of people who will come in for, you know, we do two shows a week and uh, and they'll come in for both shows. So we don't want to replicate the same show each night. So it gives us a chance to, you know, dig into some other tunes that we don't ordinarily play or some covers. Um, you know, uh, there's always there might be an Elvis song lurking around, you know, it's, uh, it's a tradition. So, uh, yeah, it's cool. It's different. And, um, you know, touring is a whole different thing. If This is a lot more kind of contained, a uh, bit more theatrical, not as raucous sometimes uh depending well depending how much they drank you know (laughs) yeah i was gonna
1: ask because i feel like the vegas audience is very special because you know so many people are coming in they're tourists and they're they're there for entertainment they're out like having a night on the town so yeah i was curious to hear how maybe the performance is altered or changed, or if you do that at all to sort of cater to the audience or if you call any audibles based on what the audience is doing that night you know
2: no, I mean we don't take requests. <laughs> well, sure, <laughs> sure, of course. <laughs> but I, w- I will tell you, we used to do the meet and greets after the show, and we had to stop doing that because, uh, you know, folks were totally inebriated by that time. <laughs> they've just been through a show, they've dragged through it, and so we said, "Well, we better do the meet and greets before the show." So <laughs> that's a good call. So can you can, <laughs> can you
0: talk about Vegas? Because I feel like Vegas is a different world. I mean, I I've been there a bunch. I mean, and it's a cool place um you know it's in the middle of the desert and the great thing is you walk down and, and first the thing that i think of first is how expensive is the electric bill to run this place Because like you know you'll walk down the street and it's like here's aerosmith here's billy idol here's here's britney spears do you think she's gone crazy she's here right, right, And it's right. like it's right. and then by the way you can go have the the greatest steak beautiful lobster dinner and it's like it's all in the middle of this like Beautiful fantasy world. What's it like? You said seven years or something in Vegas, and you're living there now. Can you speak to like the Vegas vibe?
2: Uh, yeah, I will say that um, Vegas, living in Vegas is entirely different than coming to play a show. Uh, because you've come to play a show or whatever, you're there to party, and you're there to party hard. Um, and uh, but living here is, uh, you know, I'm at the base of the Red Rocks Mountains, so my wife and I go camping believe it or not brooklyn boy goes camping (laughs) that's awesome um, and um and hiking and all this you know i mean it's absolutely beautiful and um uh it's you know it's a totally different i didn't know that this side of vegas existed um i had some friends that had moved out here actually a number of friends and they said come out and you know uh you know we'll take you around and we'll show you what it's like to live here so there's two Extremely different sides of Vegas. There's the party town, and then there's the the Vegas people, which are you know. I mean, there's farms and desert, and um, and uh, you know. Uh, it, 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 I, so far, we we really like living here. It's a bit quieter um, for us, and um, and uh, we dig it. So so far, so good.
1: Yeah, that's us. Awesome. I've, I've had a lot of friends, or just heard of a lot of musicians that have relocated there, and it seems like that's very much a thing. I think a lot. It seems like a lot of the Vegas natives at this point, are a lot of musicians, or people working in entertainment, uh, living sort of on the outskirts.
2: Yeah, exactly. And and and, and you know, there's an arts district now, and there's you know there's. A- Things you discover. I mean, I'm 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 a New York Jew, and we love Chinatown, you know. And oh, there's yeah. a great Chinatown, and uh, and it, you know, like there was in Los Angeles. So you discover all these pockets, you know, different areas that um, that you you know. I didn't know that there was a whole Asian section or whatever, you know. Well, our so, our, our,
0: our mutual friend Paul Geary, I think he moved to Summerlin and I I went I went out there and first off my fiance had never been to Vegas and I was so I loved Summerlin so it was so chill she got mad at me for not going into town and like (laughs) going around like this is so relaxing because it's like the Beverly Hills of Las Vegas where it's like it's not these beautiful neighborhoods it's like nice and open and by the way if you do go to the Red Rocks like it's Joshua Trees like the U2 album and it's just beautiful but just don't go in the sun for too long because that's not metal you'll die yeah
2: right. yeah. <laughs> right. yeah exactly that's uh, i live in Summerlin as well so you, you, yeah, know, it, I, I yeah, think, you know i figured like, yeah. is
0: billy gibbons like your next door neighbor do you guys like change hot, almost, just, hot almost. i was looking at a house
2: years man you know this has been in the works for a while for this move to vegas so there was a time we were we were still doing our previous residency and i looked at a house uh, and I was ready to put a, a bid in on it. And then it fell through and COVID hit. And then I found out Billy Gibbons bought the house across the street. Oh, wow. So I would have been his neighbor. <laughs> but no, he's, he lives in a different, different part of town. Man, that's a really rock and
0: roll part of town. We got Steve Stevens over here. We got the guy from Extreme. Well, he doesn't count. And then we have uh, Billy no, Gibbons, the, the fucking rev. No, I'm kidding. I love Paul. I'm just giving yeah, him shit. Yeah. Um, and by the way, he's a legend just because he he represents Joe Perry. So like there's all these guitar players and then there's joe Pe- i mean the rev is right up there for me i mean right that guy- yeah
2: and uh cory taylor he lives here and okay. i mean there's a lot of musicians here in, in town so um yeah it's and i you know i i you know i'm still in i'm averaging you know once every six weeks i go into los angeles and do, do work and sessions and whatever whatever it requires and um so it's it's it's, it's close enough but yet a little bit removed
0: yeah, LA's way better. It's like my mom. She's better from 60 miles away. Love her. Just, just don't want to live next to her. There's, she she's a Jewish is. mother. You should understand this. So like, yeah. No, she probably is watching this. And she's like, oh, that's so cool. He talked to that to that guy with gray hair. So, so how's everything going with you guys? I know you have a new EP out. And it sounds awesome, dude. But So I have to ask. It's an EP. Right. Are albums dead? Are we are we releasing songs one at a time, a few at a time now? Because that's just what we do as musicians.
2: Um, it was no like grand scheme, you know, plan. We actually this is the second EP and um, and we'll be doing it. We'll be doing another one. Um, you know, what, what what happened was COVID hit and we were already slated to start recording with um, previous EP was produced by Butch Walker. And um, and we said, "Well, Butch is kind of like a self-contained entity. He engineers, produces, plays every friggin instrument in the world, and uh, writes, co writes had his studio at that time in LA. So I said, well, let's just quarantine the three of us, so we'll 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 do this, you know, we'll record. Um, and it worked out really well. and And the idea of you know, putting out songs uh, closer to the release, you know, you finish the tune. Uh, you master it. And within three weeks, it's out to your audience and it's fresh. Um, whereas, you know, you know, back in the old days, you know, you do a record and it would be six to eight months uh, by the time the machinery got going and the pressing and the press. And and you've recorded these songs eight months ago they there, you know. So this for us, um, a, it's it's more immediate and we're not we're, we're picking we're really picking the four best songs. Each time, you know, we might go in and record, you know, or, or demo up 10 songs and, and the audience is getting the best of the best of what, of what we're doing. So um, I, I'm really I really like this kind of format to get a get your music out quicker and, and quality. And uh, so the latest EP was uh, uh, produced by uh, Tommy English and and um, and Zach Servini. And uh, it's a bit bit more hard hard hitting than the previous one, and um, you know, hey man, the, the the proof is in the pudding. We had an awesome time doing it, and um, the audiences. We we just finished uh, three months on the road. We're playing. You know, quite a number of these new songs, and the audience are really digging them. So I think I think we're on a, a good roll here. You know, yeah.
3: What does that process look like now? When, when you when you finally get into a room altogether, are are you coming in with like you know bits and pieces here, and everyone's throwing in like, oh, I like that one, I don't like that one, or are you coming in with fully kind of constructed ideas? Like how how, how much con- collaboration is going into that, especially um, with producers?
2: We we don't go in with anything because we're working with really strong. Uh, co-writers and and uh, and the idea, you know, sometimes when you have an idea uh, uh, that somebody's bringing in, it's kind of they fleshed it out, and and other people can feel not part of the process, and um, and you know, Billy and I, have, you know, we've been writing now together for forty years, and um, and we kind of know what each of us is going to bring to the table, so it's kind of cool to get in a room with a couple other songwriters and see what happens because they'll they'll add things that I never would have thought of or Billy wouldn't have thought of. And uh, and it kind of, um, you know, one of the things we try not to do is replicate, you know, things that we've done before. We, you know, we definitely don't want to write, write- rebel yell again we already you know we've done that we got that we play it every night yeah. <laughs> um, but sometimes you know the cats that we're working with now are able to like their fans and they're able to say oh let's take a, uh, a spirit of, of rebel yell and interject it into something we would have never expected so um, um uh, we're cool with that process and we're cool with accepting other people's input yeah
3: that's awesome
1: yeah, that's, that's
0: amazing that that you like your music has gone to like the vernacular of other musicians. Because if you say like inject the spirit of rebel yell, <laughs> right. I know what it means. <laughs> Corey knows what it means. Siobhan knows what it means. Like you've become ubiquitous with that. So like I, I understand not wanting to necessarily do the same thing over and over and over. So right. when you say you want to keep things fresh and right. you're writing with all these writers, what is <sighs> What's the, what does that feel like? What is fresh? Cause like there's a lot of people that don't understand this writing process. You're going and writing with these, you know, ghost writers or these producers that are, are, are great co-writers, right. but to us, plebeians that don't go in the room with these amazing award winners, what's that like? Like, are, are they psychiatrists? Are they sitting here going, here's, here's heart and soul. Let's change this and make it catchier.
2: Uh, thankfully, they're not psychiatrists because uh, we, we they'd ha- we'd get nothing done. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what did your dad do when you were three years old? <laughs> um, it, you know what it's like. It's like having uh, you know uh, that person or persons join your band for for those weeks that you're riding with them. They're they're like another band member, and most. Most writers, you know, can play an instrument or they can jump on the drum kit. or So it's it's just like having another band member. It's not, you know, um, I think the days of the the bringing in the song doctors uh, in the 90s or whatever, uh, which we never did and we were always against because it just didn't sit with us. This is a totally different process. These people are just musicians that are that are really good writers and in some cases like butch walkers i mean he's a hell of a guitar player man so the two of us when we work together we're just two guitar geeks geeking out over pedals and gear and and uh, hey man what about you ever hear that tommy bolin record yeah man what about that third track what if we took a solo like that or, you know we're just fans man we're just we're just other they're just other musicians that's great. I think that
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that really speaks though to the it's great to hear you say that because I always considered, you know, developing your style like a buffet. You know what I mean? It's not like you I don't like imitating in the sense that like, oh, you you sound like a Hendrix clone or a Stevie Ray Vaughan clone or a Randy Rhodes clone. But it's always like you walk down you're like, okay, I like that diminished thing that Randy used to do. I like the finger tapping thing, the flamenco thing. I'm going to steal that from the Stevens guy, (laughs) but then it becomes you. And it's, but you know, Tommy Boland, amazing. Right. But like, I bet you 99.99% of the people that see you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about? So <laughs> yeah. you're actually so you're even though to you, you know, it's like it's a part of the buffet. You're bringing it, you're keeping it alive.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, it it does flip me out a bit because young kids um now I don't know, you know, I didn't I didn't really delve into my dad's record collection. <laughs> I you know, it was it was a different era, you know, as baby boomers we we rebelled against everything that our parents liked you know all that you didn't all, like voya con dios yeah you know we we, we were all you know once jimmy hendrix showed up it was like "Fuck you dad th- th- these are <laughs> our guys you know uh, zeppelin and hendrix and all that but i find with <clears throat> with kids now um that are playing guitar they kind of rediscover their parents' music in a way. So I have a lot of kids who are asking me about, um, you know, not just the, the early Billy Idol stuff or the Generation X stuff, but they're, you know, they're asking me about like progressive rock groups from the seventies. And I'm like, how the hell do you even know what that e- what that is? So um, I get. I guess it's just all like you said. It's a you know, it's a buffet, and and kids are. Tapping—I hate to say kids because we are all just guitar players, but you know they're—they're they're aware. I think also because a lot of the guitar magazines do profile stuff that came well before the readers, so they're kind of discovering it. It's all you know, uh, it's all you know. It's—it's it's cool because I didn't have that as a kid. All I had was what was you know. I, I think my band influences. You know, I really—I wasn't even listening to the Beatles at that time because that was kind of pre you know it was before me i was really a 70s rocker kid um you know probably the same stuff that whenever i read uh interviews with 80s guitar players you know van halen or whatever we're all talking about cream and hendrix and uh you know zeppelin and montrose and all this kind of stuff so um it's kind of cool that kids are going back either you know for that stuff
3: well, it seems like it just in general pop culture is reaching back and, and doing more so that And one great example is Top Gun. I mean, look at look at what's like <laughs> what's going on now with like throwing back, you know, not only music, but also just general like pop culture and things from from that period that now because of the way that the Internet works and the way that uh, social media goes, you know, kids are discovering these things for the first time. And it's almost like it, the, it's it's as cool as it was the first time around with all the remakes and everything. Yeah, it's
2: crazy. I mean, I was in um, uh, my wife and I were in uh, Urban Outfitters and there's a whole section of Ed Hardy. And I'm like, <laughs> Ed Hardy. I haven't we seen stopped,
1: that in a minute. Yeah. yeah.
2: As, you know, we stopped wearing that in about 91, 92. It's, but it's all cyclical, I guess. It's, you know, it's things come back yeah. to
0: you. It's funny you say that because there's a lot of guitar players. And, and I know that like when we had Nuno Betancourt on the show, he laments that, you know, obviously there's all these guys that since the, the day, and girls, since the day they were born, they've had the internet and they've been shown eruption and they've been shown these crazy techniques. So then you see this six-year-old playing like all this crazy stuff that you're like, oh, Satriani's like, I, I can't do that. yeah um, But now- that that's all available and you can have that technique the question is how do you get the sound like you you, you're banging the guy's girlfriend and you smell like the cigarettes in the club like the five-year-old in japan doesn't know what it's like to be up for three days and live in a haunted castle and that comes through in their guitar playing because it's too meticulous and perfect so it's like they have to go back and find the tommy Bolin record and be like oh there's noise on this maybe (laughs) i need to get that effect to
2: add the noise
0: yeah like isn't I feel like I'm in a parallel universe, man. When I hear all these stories,
2: well, I mean, it's sometimes. I mean, look, we all we all started as bedroom guitar players, um, but from the time I was about sixteen or seventeen, I joined a band because that was the blueprint. You join a band and you go out and play. And you suck for about a year or so, and you and you your you, your drummer sucks, and you find another <laughs> drummer. Only a year, <laughs> yeah. only a year. That's or it's song, pretty quick, I don't have long much patience. <laughs> so, all right, two years. We sucked for two years. Fair. Um, but you got in front of an audience and you played, and you realized what what audience, you know, because. It's important to, to as well as being proficient on your instrument. You have to connect with people. It's not just about how uh, ambidextrous you are, or you know, it's not some circus trick or something. You have to connect with people. And and if you're uh, if you're in a band uh, and you write original music, well, your your guitar parts and your solos have to reflect what the song is about and all that. And the only way to do that is to sweat it out in a rehearsal room and Go out and play, and that's the missing element in the kind of YouTube uh, bedroom guitar players who are very proficient. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's you know, they for me they they haven't some of them haven't taken that next step to getting in front of the audience and and performing.
1: Yeah, that, that's a really good point because I find myself scrolling past things, too, and I'm like, oh, but this person's obviously amazing. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that is a huge element now that you can kind of produce anything from your bedroom and release a full album without ever, you know, seeing the light of day in front of an audience. So that makes a lot of sense. I, well, I see these
0: techniques and I, and I go, oh, my God. That's incredible. Like, you know, like Stanley oh, Jordan wow. did the two, the two neck thing, and it's incredible. But then these people have taken, and, and Michelangelo Badio, th- those guys did this crazy thing. But now there's like people that take it to the next level. They're hitting things, they're turning it inside out, like they're playing multiple instruments, and, and they're hit, you know, harp guitars. And man, I respect it. I can understand how great it is. And the first thing I think to myself is, but why? <laughs>
3: Get off my lawn! Is that what you're saying? <laughs>
0: well, yeah, I'm like an old man. I'm like, I don't need to hear a hard guitar version of Imagine, where the guy's hitting these extra strings at the top, going like it's like it's like that Hydra guitar that Steve I plays. It's amazing, but it works for one song. It's like it's it's like a it is a thing. It's it's more of like look at how fancy I am versus like how good is your songwriting, like. Get me John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Give me a, just a beautiful, weird note here and there. And I'm happy. Like, you don't have to be doing polyphia as much as I respect
3: it. Those guys did that already. It, it kind of comes back. To, like, hey, there's got to be some sort of innovation. Well, in guitars. fuck they all some these nuts. new people. They suck. <laughs> Everything
0: after the Beatles and Ze- well, Zeppelin. Zeppelin's good. I agree with Steve. The 70s <laughs> stuff was good. But I feel yeah. like maybe after Billy Idol in the
2: 80s, it just fell off. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I just, you know. The, the, the stuff that the, the examples and, the, the, as I said, the blueprint that you grew up with is what's in your head. And for me, guitar playing was always a vehicle for the singer and the song. And um, and it's still, you know, my number one job still has never changed Working with Billy is always well. What's the song and and uh, does it does it need us? First of all, does it need a solo? Is it going to enhance the song? And what should the solo represent? I, I will tell you that the better the and I, I say this from the experience of you know starting with amplifiers, you know that didn't have master volumes and all that you had a doctor. The better the guitar sound, the less notes you have to play because you want to let that sound breathe and become an organic thing if you just plugged into some computer plugin and it's this generic sound well then you're just gonna go okay well that's let's ask
0: about that because i i have to be honest with you i have a whole room over there not pictured of about 25 stack amps relatively impressive i think you might actually appreciate it steve and then one day this dude Corey came over to my house with a kemper And we compared my 5150 Big Block, which is a badass amp. It eats amps. It eats Marshalls. It eats Soldanos. It's an incredible amp. And I had it through a Mesa with like three different microphones, all in phase. It's beautiful. He brings up a Michael Britt plug-in, plugs in direct. And no matter how hard I tried, it still sounded better like a keyboard, just where I turned up the volume on my damn Kemper. (laughs) And... I said to myself, holy shit, all these amps are stupid, but this is when I knew I saw the end of the world. Barry Goudreau from Boston, I love him. One of the reasons I play music, I'm from Boston. I love Boston. Tom and Barry, they're the sound. They're the greatest sound. Barry comes over to my house because he's gonna record a solo and he sees all my Marshalls and I plug him into my Kemper. He goes, but I, why wouldn't we? I'm confused and I understand. Why, why wouldn't we plug into that? And I'm like, no, just plug into this. This is going to sound better. It's cleaner. It doesn't have any noise. And he was upset. He's like, but there's no soul in these. <laughs> and I, and then I like, so I go to a different plugin and it, patch. And he's Profi- like, okay, profile. That, the profile, he goes, that kind of sounds like me. Then I go to another, he's, oh, wow, that sounds like me and Corey <laughs> was sitting right there. And I'm telling you, man, like, I feel like I've seen the chess master get beaten by the machine. And now I'm fine with the machine. Right. Um, How do you feel about those things? Cause <laughs> I realize that what you're saying was true a few years ago. No, a few years ago is right. Plugging in a guitar rig was stupid and it sounds dumb. Get your plexi. It's always going to sound better. But then Corey came over with the damn Kemper and now I'm confused.
2: <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I do use plug in sometimes if I'm writing, you know, cause it's very quick. Um, and they give you the, they do give you the flexibility of changing your guitar sound as the song progresses because you're not stuck with what you printed. But I will say I'm still, I'm still, I use amplifiers. I've not found a way to get my sound out of a pure plug-in. Now I do use cabinet, uh, I don't use live cabinets anymore because I work with a company called three notes and we just captured all of my vintage cabinets in the studio we we went over to the Foo Fighters studio and captured them and with all the vintage microphones and and now so you I stole
0: can, on, so you stole the souls of your uh, your amplifiers of, of all the cabs just like the Kemper so here's uh, it's like the container right, i'm not
2: using i'm still using my amplifier line right
0: so only yeah. one part of it is the stolen soul and the rest <laughs> right. of it's the real <laughs> thing <laughs> yeah. but but you are essentially doing the inverse of that which is the, you're taking the cabinet because you don't right. want to bring out that heavy Dumble cabinet why do that when you can just steal it from well, David you goal. know
2: what you know what would happen is um especially when you're on a festival you know it's 20 bands you're Cabinets there, the mics get bumped, it gets moved, it's not the same every night. So I thought, well, I need to eliminate that that error, that shit going on. So we just try, and I went out in the house and I set up my cabinets with my microphones, and we A-B'd it against the captures, and the captures won. So that you know, my ears, I'll go with wherever my ears say. Hey, if if a year down the line the plugins. Sound better than my amps. I'm going to use the plugins because I don't. I don't care. I don't. You know, Kemper's are great. There are bands out there uh, using Kemper's that sound incredible. I mean, um, uh, Metallica uses Fractals um, on and, but you know what? They have a guy who goes through that shit with them and hones it in and probably helps capture the exact sounds that were on the recordings. Well, that's- and, you know, you, like,
0: you named it though, that that's why you are awesome with an amp because you have a sound guy. Corey and I, we're carrying in our own amps. <laughs> we're like, hey man, do you I know get that the, the, the 57's facing that way? The guy's like, I don't speak English. You know it. what I mean? So I get yeah, so so you get to dial that in whereas like I bring a Kemper, which I don't even play anymore because I don't even go to the outside world. But it's just like, turn the volume up, dude. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, turn they're it up.
2: They're
3: tools, man.
2: They're- I, I get it. And you know what was the, well deciding factor certainly is you know i was carrying four cabinets on the road with me and a you know gets down to the logistics of you know you need a big enough truck there's that's going to add up to you know when you start looking at the how much it costs to tour uh you know gas, what what size truck do you need how many guys are going to move it it's it comes down to dollars and cents. And, and a lot of these uh, younger bands, man, they can't afford to bring this stuff out with them. It, it's simply, you know, economics has made, made a lot of this in the box stuff happen.
0: Do you do you think that anyone's going to have you do an intervention with Ingve and say that you don't need to bring because he lets everyone know that every one of those marshals is real, which is amazing because he has the craziest marshal. It's like, you know, kitchen marshal. He shouldn't be bringing these on the road as a Jewish mother. It makes me upset. Like leave them in your studio, dude. You're playing crappy places. Stop it. But like, do you think that that's crazy at this point to be bringing out like a wall like that?
2: That's Ingve. It's, it's you know, I mean if that's what Is it makes his them, brand?
1: I He's mean, over he, the top, I mean, of course. I mean, there's
2: two things you gotta have if you're Ingve Malmsteen. In order in order of priority, a smoke machine and a wall of, of marshals.
1: <laughs> the smoke it. machine comes first. Yeah. I get it.
2: Yeah, I get it.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of, I mean, going back to songwriting briefly, when you're going in to record a new song or an EP or come with ideas, are you um, immersing yourself in other things that are different from stuff that you've played before or listened to before in order to kind of get yourself out of your, your habits or your headspace?
2: Um, you know, man, it's, uh, I mean, you, YouTube is incredible because I'm discovering artists, musicians, And, uh, you know, biographies on painters, anything that I can watch that's going to inspire me or spark an idea or something. And um, I find that, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, I'm discovering stuff and maybe bringing those elements into what I'm doing, even subliminally um, that uh, that. Maybe I never would have thought about before. So those are the those are the kind of things I very rarely listen to current guitar music uh, or or albums uh, unless somebody says you have to hear this this record or a friend of mine has done um, great example uh, Robert DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots love him um, awesome right? dude so he has a, a new solo record he sent me and and I Amazing. know. Uh, I know robert and i know the musicality i know what he's brought to that band so a i'm gonna immerse myself in it and that's that's been what i've been listening to stuff like that you know um but i I, I very rarely do i i don't go on itunes and look at what's current and on the itunes rock chart or something yeah but isn't that like
0: doing what you get paid for because it's like okay like i i I used to think people that didn't listen to music in their car were psychopaths. And now that I'm in a studio all day tracking and listening to music and mixing, I just want to Sweet drive. silence.
3: Sweet, sweet yeah. silence. Yeah. Yes. So it's the
0: same thing. It's like, it's like, you know, you play guitar all the time. In fact, you're a guitar hero. So it's not to say that you're being ignorant. It's just you're at a point where you're still just doing your thing. So yeah. what's the point of having to like go and like stay current? I mean, I, I appreciate people that want to stay current and all that sort of stuff. But like, I, I like that you're Steve Stevens being Steve Stevens because that's kind of like what you should you should be. I feel
2: like I'll tell you a funny story. Was um, I was uh, rehearsing for uh, this tour down uh, South America, Rock and Roll All Stars, and Billy Duffy from the Cult uh, was one of the guitar players. So I needed to lift back to Hollywood. Uh, I'll give you a ride, Steve. Okay, we get in his uh, his truck. We're driving. He turns on the radio. It's classical music. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I hope you don't mind my classical music. This is what I like to listen to. <laughs> and I'm like, I get it. I totally get it. It's like... I will listen to something. I mean, most of the time in my car, I listen to comedy, and mm-hmm. uh, that's what and, and that's what my wife and I enjoy doing. We go to comedy clubs a lot. I don't go to see bands that that often unless it's um, you know friends of ours or something. But um, I try and you know get away. You know, like you said, got to get away from it sometimes.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I wasn't trying to say, you know, stay current, Ben, maybe you misunderstood what I was saying, but yeah, as, as someone that isn't strong in songwriting, I'm always curious how people, you know, get out of their, their, the ideas that they're always getting, you know, and it's interesting going to see art or listen to comedy or yeah. something that's completely unrelated can inspire that as well.
2: Absolutely. Or films, films are great because, it's, uh, you know, songwriting is very, is, is very similar to watching a film because... You know they build in peaks and valleys, and like there's a all right there's a Denzel movie, and he's just the shootout and the fighting, and all this crap is going, and all hell's breaking loose. And then right after it, it's this lull of the music, kind of chills. Guys laying on the down ground, they're dead. It's a, you know the, the the he saved the girl or whatever. So it's like it's like a chorus and a and a verse. It's I see very things very similarly. So films also uh, affect me and i and i love i love film music as well
0: i can relate to this completely as well and i'm sure corey can um when you do so much production you start to understand the way things break down. So you're like, okay, they had to have done this scene this way. And like, because you, you, you've removed the Wizard of Oz veil and you you kind of like reverse engineer it. You're like, how would they do that? But because you work in the studio, look, nonlinear editing is nonlinear editing. So it's like, you can appreciate, I mean, I know there's a lot of technical elements of movies and things that I absolutely appreciate more because I sit and I, I, I point a microphone at a cone.
3: you know it's it's funny that you you compared uh you know songwriting to like film and i think that's a hundred percent accurate and one of the biggest things i've learned as a producer and working with other songwriters and you know people that come into my studio for help with what they're working on is explaining that that like all right you wrote a really cool song it's cool riffs cool lyrics everything but we got to make sure it tells a story and you know that kind of sounds like pretension. It could be like, the, oh, you got to tell a story with music. But if you really break it down, like, no, you need a peak in a valley. You need dynamic shifts. You need to you need to take the person listening on a ride, so that when they get to the end of the song, they want to get back on. Um, and and looking at looking at it as a film, I think helps people visualize something that that has no visuals, right? So that, that's a really important point and a, and a great way of looking at it, in my opinion.
2: Well, that's you know, I mean, it, it should tell a story, and that that blends that's exactly why. Uh, when I'm recording or whatever, and somebody or engineer or whatever will say, oh, should I copy that? You know, let's say I've just recorded the verse, first verse. Oh, should I? And they're used to doing this. They copy it. And I go, well, if we're telling a story, the way that I'm going to play the last verse is not going to be the same after they've already heard two choruses and a bridge. I'm going to dig in. I'm going to do some embellishments. I'm building towards the end. It's the same as acting, you know, they don't act. Actors are the same at the beginning of the story as they are after they've lived through this, whatever the whatever the film is about. So um, so those are things, you know, that I, you know, as, as I tell people recording, don't cut and paste, don't cut and paste your parts or your vocals or anything. Um, it, it just doesn't it's 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 doesn't work.
3: I think it's true. And it's along the same ideas of what you're saying is I think people, it became a a trend, the cut and paste thing, because it was like, oh, well, we want people to, especially like pop music, that style. We want people to make sure they can sing along with every chorus and that we don't want to confuse them. But now I feel like if you don't break away from that, you do, those songs become stale very quickly. No matter how big of a hit you write, if it's cut and paste, every time someone listens to that song, they've heard the chorus three times. If they listen to the song, you know, it's twice have heard it six times and there's no change. So why would they listen to it again? So but by having on, those you, variations,
0: you brought up a problem, Corey, because there's so many people and we've seen this with some serious producers, man. Like, in, in fact, Corey and I have been horrified by some of some of the things that we've seen where they're just like, but can't you just pro tools that? <laughs> yeah. I know he almost spit it out. Can't you just Pro Tools that? Yeah. And it's like, first off, I play things a million times because every time I play it, it gets better and I get more upset at myself. Now I'm playing it with more anger. And apparently I sound better that way. Whereas other people are just like, oh, I know you you hit the wrong note, but you hit it like well enough that I can now use Melodyne and just put it and then we can just copy it to the every, every other chorus and it makes this homogenized music that has no feel to it and right. but do you think that that's making people lazier in the sense that we're we're not getting better because we're using these tricks to just phone it in
2: all the time um i i i see a definite trend getting away from that i think when 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 everybody could you know have accessibility to pro tools and they could do that Everybody went crazy doing it. I'll cut and paste, cut and paste. I will say in the last you know year that I've worked with engineers and producers, they're avoiding that. They're getting away from it. So um, I, I think there's definitely getting, you know, moving away from that.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's like
3: the pendulum's coming back. Because like you said, it was, it was such a... You know, going from tape to computers, it was like, oh, we have all these options, and we can we can really work with this. And then you you kind of had to find that threshold of like, all right, maybe that was a little too much, and bringing it back, and now people want to get more. Yeah, I mean,
2: um, look, uh, you know, it used to be really if I worked with a singer or whatever um, back in the day, and having to get uh, you know per song a, a great vocal performance, you sometimes had to kill the guy to sing the song. Uh, you know, 12 times and then you cut and then you edited it, right? You've picked the best bits of it. By the time the guy sang it 10 times, he's like, he's, he's already thinking about his pitch. He's thinking about timing and he's forgetting about just the inspiration. So if you get that initial vocal take and you just need to fix a couple of things, but keep the integrity of the performance, I think that's a good thing. Just, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to auto tune a rock singer to Jeff. Well, death. comping it, let's, yeah, let's,
0: yeah. let's discern the difference. Comping for me is great. I'd rather someone sing 37 times and get a little bit of the magic and not have to use any auto tune or any timing and just be like, wow, you did this weird thing with your voice, but that sounds awesome. Versus you're, you're sitting there and you're quantizing things. You're fixing right. the pitch and you're, you're stripping all the humanity out of it because the thing is a lot of the times, and this is how I actually have, have, written a lot of vocals myself, is I will sing something a bunch of times, and to make a master track, I go and find that magic, and then I go, okay, that's how I should sing it, and then use it as an example back to myself. Right. Hey man, learn it that way, and now right. it don't suck.
2: Right. <laughs> I think that's that's exactly how it's been for however long, 50 years, that is exactly how it's, every record that I've ever done, that's the way we do it, you know, you, you or, or you take it home, or, you know, you say, Okay, you patch it together, uh, even with a guitar part, you know, and maybe you'll say, okay, take that home and learn it that way, and come in fresh the next day with that, with that as your guide, and, and um, that's usually worked really well.
1: Yeah. When it um when it comes to working with some of the songwriters and producers that you find, what are some of the things that you're considering or looking for when you're choosing, like who specifically to collaborate with on an upcoming EP or song or album? Because it, it seems like it changes here and there from project to project is are, are you looking for some variety in kind of the styles or background? Like, how do you go about choosing those people?
2: Um Well, in the case, um, in uh, one of the co-producers that we worked with, Tommy English, um, he was suggested to us by Butch Walker. And I figured, well, Butch is not going to, you know, recommend somebody who's, you know. Um, A lot of times, you know, I go on recommendation. I really do. Uh, And Tommy recommended the the co-producer, Zach Servini. I really because, you know, I don't have the time to sit down and listen to, okay, uh, we're going to work with so-and-so. I'll listen to the last 10 records that he's done.
4: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, I don't, and, you know and, and, and a good producer or engineer is going to approach your project entirely different than the one he, he's not going to replicate his previous record.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So um, I really go on recommendation mostly, and it's usually very rarely do we find that hasn't worked out. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: Zach Zach Cervini is uh, killing it right now, though as 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 a producer and his his sonic his mixing ability and, and everything he's he's got like that modern very hard hitting rock sound absolutely nailed. He's uh he's doing oh great. he's brilliant yeah, he's brilliant.
2: Yeah. And I started to see his name on a lot of different things, and they were very different from each other. Um, and I said, "Oh, who's this guy?" Uh, you know, mm-hmm. okay, he's you know. And I remember taking note of that. And then when Tommy English recommended him, I said, I know who you're talking about. Let's get him in here. He's great. It's great.
3: Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. For, for, for like, um, you know, we kind of went over the songwriting um, on, on the newer material. But for a sonic palette, like, do you guys have a uh, a goal or an idea when you go into these newer recordings where you're like, you know, I want this to be a little different than before. I want this to have this element. You know anything from that direction
2: um I think that you know one of the things that we always tried to do back in the day uh you know even when we were doing Rebel Yell <clears throat> we, between Billy myself and our producer Keith Forsey we always felt that rock records didn't have the bottom end that a R&B records had or dance records had and I remember you know you always had to take because it was you were recording for vinyl so you had to take into consideration how, how much music was on it because the grooves, you know, grooves would get smaller. You couldn't put as much bass on it because the needle would skip out of the grooves. So we were always fighting that, you know, all of our louder tracks had to be at the beginning of the record when the grooves are bigger. Um, so one of the things that really became intriguing to me in modern is um you know how you can get sub bass and that's a lot of rap music and and um you know my wife my listens to a lot of that stuff and it's always like those the subs on that is incredible so we're always like going and you know i know whenever we get to the chorus and i did ask zach servini about okay how do we get sub bass on that that's one of the things i noticed about his productions Oh, you're using synth bass to double the the okay. oh and yeah.
0: You, that was you know. an epiphany. I went, I I went and played a new Muse record for for Corey, and I said, "Dude, how the fuck?" And he was like, "What they do is they take keyboard and then they double." And so we did that for our new song. I was like, "Oh, the sonic power of just so, like playing clean. It's that's
2: amazing." And here's the here's the power of the computer because you can automate your mix so that when that chorus hits that maybe you carve out a space out of your kick drum and out of your bass guitar for that synth to suddenly take over and suddenly your chorus is like slamming and you couldn't do that back in the day you couldn't see it visually where that's where that frequency should reside that's that's what's great about computers Listen, we, we were
0: told not to do this by jonathan weiner the incredible mastering engineer but i put high pass filters on everything other than two instruments and that's kick <laughs> drum and bass and they get to live wherever they want to live and fuck all of you below hundred. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, just 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 get rid of all the other instruments. Just kick drum, bass, and and vocals. That's all you're. And you got a Billie Eilish record. and You're good.
2: <laughs> as as a guitar as a guitar player, I really resent that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, well, let me ask you this: So now that you're in Vegas and that you guys get to hang out, you get to go sleep in your own bed. Um, you don't have the crew like loading out every single night. Do you think it's more conducive to writing? songs and like crafting more material to choose from because you you said it's like fresh and you know it used to take a long time to do a record and now you know you could have a song out in a month if you wanted to
2: Absolutely and and it's more topical <clears throat> you know we we were always afraid of writing about current events or things like that. We steered away from it because who the fuck knows where the world's going to be in ten months time when the record comes out? Mm-hmm. Well, now you can write things that are current and pertain to things, uh, you know, that, that are happening in your life at the moment. So uh, like, um, uh, you know, as Billy says, the, the our latest single. Um, Cage is was really about, you know, breaking out of the pandemic and and, uh, you know, feeling like we're going to go, OK, we know we're going to go out and tour. We're going to go play. we got this new song, this single, and it's it's very representative of getting out of the fucking COVID quarantine. And, and we, we weren't afraid to put that out because it is current.
0: Yeah. I, I, by the way, that's also the name of the EP. And I was a little bit upset because I wanted the signed version from like Talk Shop <laughs> Live. And I usually find that shit out right away and you sold out immediately and it pissed me off because apparently uh, talk, you're still-
2: talk, 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 talk to me afterwards, I might know a guy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't know if I have any more wall space
0: because my fiance, <laughs> actually true story, she made me take my David Bowie paintings down off of oh, my no. wall above my no. bed. Oh no, no, they're over here. But she was like, they're ugly. And I'm like, but they're, da-, and they're, they're the artist proof from David. And I was like, no. So now it's all been relegated. So I have to be very sparse. But I, okay. I, I would love to have a, a, a
2: Billy Idol record on my wall. Okay. I got to <laughs> ask you behind you. It's a picture of a band by by your Les Paul. Uh, the, the recording one. Yeah. The black and white. Yeah. Who, who is yeah, that? That's that's Queen.
0: Signed by oh, Roger okay. Taylor and okay. uh, Brian May. The yeah. hot space record up there, which you could see the bottom of, right, is signed okay. by Freddie. That's the only one I have by Freddie, but it's a huge Freddie autograph because I'm a nerd. Because great. here's no, the thing, it's, Steve. It's great, man. This is my temple. Because, yeah. okay, let me let me give you an example. I've had a bunch of people that should, Glenn Hughes, Barry Goudreau, David Ellison, they all see my house on the outside and they're like, why did I get dragged down to <laughs> this dude's house? But they walk here. They walk down yeah. here and they see my 150 guitars, my grand piano, my yesterday and today Beatles record, uh, all this stuff, my Van Halen sign shit. And they're yeah. like, this dude. He lives this. He, he sits with the rats, but he yeah. plays vintage Les Pauls and he has no fucks given about sound. And that's yeah. that's that's my religion, dude. Yeah. That's it.
2: Yeah. There's no more to that. There's not a question. It's just me <laughs> saying. That's cool. I mean, it's good, good to keep your, you know, keep your heroes uh, up there. I got to tell you an amazing thing. So we just finished. I'm going to boast here for a minute. So do it. Do it up. This is a big deal to me. So we just finished uh, about ten dates in in the UK. Um, we just got back, you know, last week, and um, uh, the our one of our supporting acts was uh, Toya Wilcox. She's married to Robert Fripp from King Crimson. I'm a well, huge. That's why kid-
0: people are asking. I was going to so, say that's why people ask about King Crimson and Vintage '70s set because they do songs together. Continue.
2: So um, I'm a huge King Crimson fan, had from the very beginning, had all the records up on my walls. And uh, so I'm like hoping that I'm gonna meet Robert Fripp, one of my heroes. Not only do do I meet him, he he writes me a letter, a a handwritten letter. I'm not gonna say too much about what he said in it. And then posts on uh, Instagram, about how how amazing a musician i am and now robert doesn't do this kind of stuff he doesn't even no, take photos doesn't. with people i no. i got a I got i was a little reticent about asking him for a photo I said we hope you don't mind you know just like and the way that the way that i want him over because i'm such a i'm such a fan is i named Now, before he was in King Crimson, I wanted him to know I knew the history. So before he was in King Crimson, he was in a band called Giles, Giles and Fripp. Okay, they put out uh, eventually a record of their their demos, which was done at this house. And I started to name the songs on the demos. And he knew I said, you know, I'm a real fan. I know about those. So so he realized I was really, you know, (laughs) <laughs> and it it just blew my mind and it's just like my wife I'm like I am no longer taking out the garbage I am no longer flushing the toilet I I've, I've, it's it's I'm a god now. Robert Fripp said, (laughs) Robert Fripp said, I'm great. No, that's it. So, now for Siobhan
0: that doesn't understand the incredible nature of Robert Fripp, he came up with this thing called Friptronics. A little bit pretentious, yes, but uh, it it was all this overdubbing and crazy. Like, you, Tom Schultz and Eddie Van Halen, like, you know, coming up with all these ideas. This guy from this band called King Crimson was like, Hold my beer. And he basically. Just took over the prog world and now is married to to Toya, who is an amazing singer, but has big boobs and they go online and it's the craziest, (laughs) most insane. I, I encourage it's called lunch with Toya and Robert and basically Robert Fripp, who is a Jedi guitarist. Yeah, We'll cover, yeah. Uh, and she's an incredible, like, absolutely wonderful, uh, her pedigree's incredible, comes out with her boobs, like, taped up or whatever, and they'll do yeah. Rage Against the Machine for an, a minute and a half, and it's like this performance art that you can't look away from. And yeah. I gotta tell you, if no one knew who uh, uh, Robert Fripp was a few years ago,
2: well, they do now. Um, yeah, I mean, he's the guitarist on... Um, on uh, heroes, David Bowie's heroes, and, and scary monsters, and um, for, for anyone that I mean, it's it, he's had about five different versions of the band, and every version has just been incredible. And he's, um, uh, you know, he's he's one of those guitar players that is such a what he does is so specialized, and um, and the, for me. As a kid, what, what it what it represented is before I had figured it out. I had taken classical guitar lessons, some jazz lessons, some flamenco. But you know, how do how do I, how does that apply to rock and roll? It doesn't. You know, it's not nothing like Eric Clapton or anything. Well, when I heard Robert Fripp, he was taking all these elements and he showed a way like a blueprint. Of how how you can um, use these elements, and for me that was huge. It, it's like it opened up a whole Pandora's box of uh, of musicality, and I still refer to what would Robert Fripp do? <laughs> you know. I, I, yeah I think, that's that's yeah.
1: interesting yeah because yeah. I, I come from the classical world and i've dabbled a little bit in jazz and other things just to, to get inspiration for songwriting so and i haven't figured out how to use like, that well, at they, all
2: <laughs> his great quote was uh, they said how did you um how did you come about your guitar style he said i combined uh bartok with jimi hendrix so nice but But this
0: also goes back to your brain freezes like probably when you're like 20 years old you were rocking to King Crimson you know what I mean so forever Dimebag Daryl and Zach Wild and Eddie Van Halen um, you know will look over my shoulder but you know and and for years to come it's going to be you know the Steve Stevens and then it's going to be you know Tosin Abasi and all these newer guys are going to be the new dudes looking over your shoulder going what what would Tosin do you know so it's, it's it but it's interesting you know you go back to Robert Fripp who again like he could walk down the street in the United States and, and no one has any freaking idea who he is. Absolutely, um, You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, a, a, and meanwhile, you who everyone recognizes you, um, you know what I mean? It's one of those things where it's like, it's amazing to see how much reverence you have, but you're keeping that alive through your playing. And I think that that's incredible.
2: Yeah. I mean, like you touched on an important thing is that that music, the music that you discover from the time you are adolescent, adolescence, probably about 12 to about 14 or 15 like think of all the things that are happening in your life at that time you're discovering sex you're discovering drugs you're discovering music and that is imprinted on your brain and it'll never leave it's, it's, it's yeah you have that, those experiences yeah. i heard yeah. brian may i'm like yeah. holy
0: shit Then I heard Dimebag Daryl, I went to my teacher and I said, "How do you make that squeal? Like, Um, is that a thing?" And like, and then you you know, you 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 all have those. And then Ingve Malmsteen comes in. You're like, "That's possible." And then Randy Rhodes did it, you know, very very much more ornately and nicely. And then that's when you start to figure out uh, no one else matters. And then and those are the people that live in your head for however long. Always be
2: it'll it'll always be that way. Always.
0: Yeah, it's wild. You live in my head, though. So that's just so
2: you know, you live in my head with a ray gun. That's what well, I think about every single well, time. Here, here's here's the, here's the thing. And I actually, I saw, I, I had said this, and then I saw Angus Young say the same thing. The feeling that I got when I went to see my first concerts when I was 13 or 14 years old, um, you know, Madison Square Garden, you know, the, the impression that they had on me is... I try and tap into that feeling when I'm on stage and try and give that feeling to the audience. I'm not always successful at it uh, and not everybody in the audience is a 14 year old kid like me, but I'm at least trying to tap into what I felt when I watched a band when I was that age and not just uh, th- what you know think oh well what's in catering tonight and uh, what's the gross and what's the you know what's our net tonight and uh, how long's the bus ride? I try and forget all that crap and just put myself in the headspace that I was at when I was 14 years old for th- for that two hours that I'm up there. And I saw Angus say the same thing when he would go see, you know, uh, the first time he saw uh, Chuck Berry or or even Led Zeppelin. He's tapping into that, even as as huge an artist as as he is and as as a, as a monumental guitar player. He's Still that same kid, you know. So that uh, uh, will never change.
1: That's awesome. Right well yeah.
3: put. And uh, yeah, we're coming up on the uh, the end here. So we want to uh, definitely give a, uh, a a promo again. The uh, the residency is coming back for the first time since COVID. Is that what it, it is? Yeah, yeah, for us. Yeah. So in Vegas, they make sure you guys go check it out. The
0: cage, <laughs> which <We're just laughs> is the EP, break it out of the cage. It's it's yes. not a metaphor. It really happened. Although there might be a cage. Who knows? If right. you go to Vegas, uh, what happens in Vegas uh, stays on oh, YouTube. We, th- at-
2: we thought about that. We thought <laughs> we thought you know, big production. We'll have this fucking cage. Billy will come out of the cage.
3: And... But now. then Stonehenge just came down slowly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <gasps> 2 foot uh, stone hedge. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um anything else you want to let our listeners or viewers know about any um, any other projects outside of uh, Um
2: I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff, but I have a new a new Friedman amplifier we just released for all the gear nerds. Um uh Friedman SSDL Deluxe and I've been touring with that and it's an awesome amplifier. I still have my guitars with Nags. Uh, that are available. Uh, if you go to NAGS Guitars, K-N-A-G-G-S, um, uh, part of proceeds go to um, uh, Music Harris, which is uh, helps um, musicians with substance abuse problems. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff, but uh, you know, catch me on Instagram or I try and keep the uh, current. And um, Facebook and, and Instagram, there's always there's always stuff going on there.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Steve. And I mean, I have so many more questions, so many more questions, but I I appreciate you taking the time as always.
2: Thanks, baby. You you guys are great. I enjoy doing that. Oh, thank you. No, it's
1: awesome to have you back, really. Yeah, Yeah,
2: yeah. So you were just on the road. That's, yeah.
1: Me, yeah. So I'm actually still technically on the road, but we had a rare two days off where we ended in I Florida and it was close enough where I could come home. So I'm in my apartment right now until tomorrow morning. We got like another week left. Uh, we're doing a small acoustic tour right now. Awesome. So awesome. it's fun. It's, it's really cool. Just afternoon shows low key for like a lot of our big fans. So it's capped at 150 so, people. Right. Super cool. It's a lot of Great.
2: fun. Awesome. Yeah. one day i'll come see you That'll yeah be,
1: for sure yeah. i'll let you know i guess next time we're we're in vegas i suppose i'll, I'll please, let you know or please do. share yeah. my schedule yeah okay
3: fantastic thanks guys thank you as always for checking out this episode of 2020 please visit 2020-d.com like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes this week's throwback clip is from episode number 33 featuring satchel of steel panther check it out
4: I keep thinking of a. I'm trying to think of a way to to get all the musicians to pull their heads out of their asses and leave. Um, what's it called? Apple Music and um, Spotify.
1: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It's
4: like take the power back because there's literally one dude who owns Spotify who's live who's who's got thirty two billion fucking dollars.
3: Yeah.
4: And he's just a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> who went, hey, I'll make these guys, this, this record company sign a contract with me and we'll get all the money and all the artists will be broke for the rest of their lives. And you know, I know, I, you know there's probably people that are hearing this going, man, fuck Satchel. He doesn't want to give away his music for free. But there, there will be a day when nobody will be making music anymore. And you're in the period right now where it's all dying.